our faith is celebrated in the liturgy. So the liturgy is a rather serious thing because a person who didn't know what we believe should be able to tell if the person sees what we celebrate and how we celebrate. That is why if a priest or bishop or anybody who has a part in the liturgy begins to introduce idiosyncrasies, not minding what the church wants, if that person is doing great harm to our faith. Welcome to this special episode of the John Henry Weston Show. We're coming to you right here from the Vatican. As you can see, we are standing on a balcony directly across from St. Peter's Square. We are on the balcony of Cardinal Francis Arince, who will be giving us a beautiful testimony about his working relationship for many years with our late Holy Father, who just passed away, whose funeral we were all at. Stay tuned for this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Eminence, we begin every show with the sign of the cross. If you could lead us, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is so good to be with you. This is Cardinal Francis Arinse, whom LifeSight has known for many years. When we first met him, he was the head of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments. But if you would, Eminence, give us a little bit about your own history, uh, about your own coming to priesthood, um, and where you're from. I'm from Nigeria, from a village in Onitsha Archdiocese in the south central of Nigeria. My parents belonged to African traditional religion. That was the normal religion the missionaries found when they first came to our area in the beginning of the 19th century, 20th century. I went to school. And through the school, I was baptized in, when I was nine years old. And the priest who baptized me, Father Cyprian Michael Tansey, later on became a monk in England. But he was first our parish priest and in two other parishes. I was baptized by him, my first communion, my first confession. I was his master in 1945. And when he went to the monastery in England, I visited him in 1959. Uh, Also, that time I was studying in Rome in the seminary for the mission countries, urban unit, which we can see up the hill there beyond the trees. I was ordained priest in 1958. He died, this priest, in 1964 in England. When I became... I was back home, 1960, taught in the seminary for two years, in charge of Catholic schools for two years. Then I was made assistant bishop in 1965. My age was 32 then, but my age has improved. It's come dangerously near three times that now. And then archbishop in 1967, when I was 34, I worked in Nigeria, and then finally, to cut a long story short, Pope John Paul II, now sent, transferred me to Rome to the office for dialogue with other believers who are not Christians. And that was 1984. I worked 18 years in that office, and then six years in the office for sacred liturgy from 2002. And for the past 10 years, I am retired with my age 90 
I, we, at our age, we are left free. If we are not in wheelchair and we are not in the hospital or in the graveyard, we are allowed more or less to arrange our day, which is reasonable. That's where you are now. Beautiful, beautiful. So there's few better people to speak with about first Cardinal Ratzinger and then Pope Benedict. And you've known him for many, many years and be able to interact with him. Tell us your recollections about Cardinal Ratzinger. I heard of him when I was a young priest and bishop that he was a very good theologian who could say clearly what we believe. Then I met him when he was Archbishop in Munich. I went there in Germany to look for funds for Nigeria, and he was very kind to me. Then, of course, I knew him when he was transferred to Rome in 1981 to the Office for Doctrine. I was transferred to the Office for Dialogue in 1984, so for many years we had to work together. Because in any case, if any office in the Vatican set up is writing a book or a document which has doctrinal elements, then it is usually the doctrine for the faith congregation that looks at it in case there's any need to comment so that we are sure the doctrine is correct. In that capacity, I knew him. And also, I was a member of his own congregation for doctrine, which means a meeting once a month. And when you sat with him at a theological meeting where he chairman the meeting, you knew you were talking with a master. You go away like a person going away from a theological banquet because you knew he was a balanced theologian. I admired especially his gentleness in giving credit to a theologian, even if the theologian had some errors in his book, but he was able to never use the harsh word on anybody, even when the theologian came dangerously being uh, an iconoclast, uh, uh, breaking all the statues in the church. But he always used gentle words, fair, and allowing everyone to have his say, which the public often does not know. They only believe what newspapers have written. You journalists, you can sometimes make things which are not 100% exact. <laughs> it was a joy to walk with him and near him and listen to him. Beautiful. That reputation that followed him, der Panzer Cardinal, you got to work with the man. You got to know his heart. Um, what were his, thought, his thoughts on that even, the, the characterization that he had, but also on his love for Jesus Christ? His love for Jesus Christ is undoubted. You, you notice we are told that his last words were, Lord, I love you. Whether he used the word love in German or he said Jesus, for him is the same. It was more a type of public image which people who don't know him catch. But that image is not exact at all. Because when you are with him, you know you are with a master who loves the church and whose office is to look after the doctrine, what the church believes and teaches, what we received from the apostles all through the centuries. Suppose you have a professor of mathematics and he teaches the children and arithmetic and they, they, when they finish their writing, they, this child says, my opinion is this. The other child says, my answer is this. The other one says, my answer is that. 
And they tell the professor, please, don't be judgmental. Ah, but the professor says mathematics has no respect for sincerity. Sincerity is a virtue. But there is another virtue called objectivity and mathematical exactness. That one respects nobody. So you may be a very nice person, but you don't know arithmetic. So the wrong answers are as many as there are students who don't know arithmetic. The correct answer is only one. Will you consider the professor to be dictatorial and Hitleristic and Napoleonistic because he didn't, he became judgmental. He said that some answers are not correct. You are not serious. Even if you have football, soccer, there must be some rules. You can't just have soccer and every player does what he likes and tells the referee, you must not be judgmental. You are not serious. You are going to end up with broken bottles and people fighting. It won't be soccer anymore. The doctrine of the church is much more serious than football. So there are actual things we believe, and there are actual things we don't believe. Somebody has to look after that in the church. That's what it is. Isn't it a matter of joy that we have that? Or you want a religion in which there are no rules. You are not serious. Where are you going to end up? One of the things that on that very subject is going on right now, seems to be in in Germany, there is a a thought of a synodal path that seems to want to say, well, we can change the the teachings, particularly on sexual lifestyles and so on. Do you have any thoughts on that before we go back to uh, Cardinal Ratzinger and, and Pope Benedict? The Ten Commandments were given by God to Moses. And John Paul too says that even before God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he already wrote them in the human heart. And my days, my years in the office for interreligious dialogue, I could meet Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus. Most of what God tells us in the Ten Commandments are realized also by Muslims and Buddhists. And so they may make, uh, there may be mistake in one minor point or the other. But most people know what is honesty, what is chastity, what is truth. The human being has no authority to change any of the Ten Commandments. We cannot and we should not, even if they are not popular, even if they are not easy. They don't change. Two and two are four. Won't change, even when the child who calculated made a mistake. So that's what it is. It isn't we who make what we believe, but we receive. Which means there are some things that are so, and they don't change. There are some areas where we can have opinion and where we can grow in our knowledge. Let us say now slavery. In the days of St. Paul in the New Testament, in those days, slavery was still practiced, and the Christian didn't realize that it isn't correct. But gradually then, humanity saw the truth there. It is very different when you examine God's rule for the family, God's rule for the individual, and matters that touch relation between men and women. They are not subject to human opinion. Otherwise, we are like those students of mathematics 
who got answers, which a good professor cannot accept because they accused the professor of being judgmental. Oh, Lord, help us. You don't want arithmetic then. So we cannot also change what we believe, nor the constitution of the church, nor the Ten Commandments, nor let us say that Christ made the church and he made bishops and they are to be men. Now, the church has no power to change that. And John Paul too said that. If Christ saw that women would be priests, you know that there are some famous women, beginning with his mother, the number one holiest person would have been a, a super priest. And Mary Magdalene and all those women who followed him, the apostles were not even on Calvary. Only John was there. And on Easter day, it was the women who persevered. So if anything at all, they were very, very loyal. But we can't change what Christ has made. It is like doctrine on the Holy Eucharist. If a synod is studying our faith and following tradition and church teaching, correct. But if it means free for all, where every individual pumps out that individual's opinion, then we, we are not talking of our faith anymore. It is the formula for confusion. It is the pity. It should not be. In his final testament, uh, Pope Benedict wrote, um, stand firm in the faith and do not be confused. When you saw that, what, what did you think of that? Much like what we are talking about now, he would not name his country. But we cannot avoid thinking of what is happening in the German synodal way today. You notice that about 100 bishops from around the world wrote a year ago, more or less, that it's rather dangerous and not the proper way to look at our faith. So our prayer is that everyone may become much more conscious of this precious treasure that is our faith. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. Cardinal Ratzinger was he was defending the Holy Father. He watched Pope John Paul II get older and older and, and eventually pass away. He said the Mass for, uh, for Pope, uh, Pope John Paul II. What were his thoughts then? I, I, I heard that he wanted to retire even before while he was the head of the CDF, but he wanted to stay on to help Pope John Paul. And then he became the Holy Father when he was already thinking of retirement. What are your recollections of those days? Exactly that he wanted to retire. Pope John Paul II begged him or ordered him not to retire. I agree with John Paul II. John Paul II made the correct decision, even though the Cardinal Ratzinger wanted to retire. And he accepted to be Pope. Everyone saw he wasn't anxious to become Pope. He was not a politician who is campaigning for election. We admire, therefore, his bowing in front of divine providence. And if you saw, uh, from what we have discussed so far, if you saw what he wrote on the sacred liturgy, and you saw how he celebrated the Mass, you, you see then 
that our faith is very precious. And this man symbolizes it. And that is why people realize that, who love our faith and they respect him. An individual who was a seminarian or something like that in the church, but he left because he was very leftist. And um, he was with uh, Cardinal Ratzinger and uh, was going to leave and, and so on. And he went and Cardinal Ratzinger was there in front of him in, in church. Cardinal Ratzinger went to confession. And this so struck the young man that the young man reformed his thoughts and, and, and came back to the church because of the example of Cardinal Ratzinger going to confession. What are your recollections about Cardinal Ratzinger's practice of the faith, uh, about going to confession and, and, and his use of the sacrament? I didn't watch him going to confession, but I am not surprised that he was a practicing Catholic. And that's what all of us should be. None of us grows higher than that. And that is our title when we go before the Lord. That example you gave proves what Pope Paul VI also said, that people believe in witnesses rather than teachers. And if they believe in teachers, it is because they are first witnesses, which means example is more powerful than words. Isn't it clear? Even the apostles watching their Lord Jesus Christ, they followed his example, even in his prayer. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We see you praying often. Teach us. So example is more powerful than words. One of the things that is very difficult for a, a pope, to, when he becomes pope, I mean, it's, it's a challenge anyway, but Cardinal Ratzinger knew the inside of the Vatican very well. And when he became pope, one of the first things he said was, pray for me that I don't flee for fear of the wolves. What was your understanding of that, what he meant and uh, what, what were your thoughts at the time and, and how it played out? I thought that his work was such that he would have known some of the defects of, the, of some of the people in the church and that therefore some were not as holy as they should have been. Remember, you remember that comment of his at the Stations of the Cross at the Colosseum a short time before John Paul II died the dirty dirt in church, which means people who are within the church, but they have given scandal by their life. Those who are living double lives, an appearance before the public, another reality which is not beautiful at all. So he must have been very sad about that. That is also a proof that he wasn't anxious to become pope. Because if he became Pope, he would have to handle those situations. What to do in those situations? Because with the human heart, you can't use force. All that must have been crossing his mind. And that all that may have, who knows what influenced him finally to, to decide that he could not continue. One of the things that was uh, very repressive during his reign was the revelations of more and more uh, of sexual abuse on, on the parts of priests. And, and I, a lot in the media 
really went to lengths to persecute Catholic priests because of this reputation. It was worse among teachers and other things, but the, the focus was always on the Catholic Church and, and, and harming priests, such that sometimes priests even going out in public, if they wore their clerics, were, you know, castigated in public. And this, this happened also very much so in, in Germany. What was the Pope's thought about this? I know he, he had to deal with it often. Were you ever talking to him about it or heard him talk about it? And what were your thoughts on that? I cannot tell what he was thinking. I can only guess. I didn't discuss with him in this particular point. But he had to handle the situations. As you, as you have implied also, bad example attracts attention. Good example often does not. So that if one priest has not done well, he, his scandal can strike page one in the newspapers. But the other 99 priests who are doing well, no comment. And, well, you may say, well, it isn't only priests. There are also, I won't mention other categories where there was abuse of children, much worse than in the Catholic Church. But people will answer, but you Catholics, you are the ones transmitting to us the gospel. So we expect you, even if it's only one priest, it would already be tragic. It would already be sad. But as we know, if people want to know, most priests are doing their work and they are honest and they are chaste and there is no problem in their life. But unfortunately, a few priests can give a bad name to the whole group, which makes people suffer. And also a priest can be accused falsely. <laughs> I do not say all accusations are false, but some are false. So think of all that. He must have suffered. As Pope, he, had not, he could not avoid handling the situation. If these people wanted to meet him, he met them. He listened to them. We are told that even he cried with some of those abused. So these are facts which can come up when his cause of beatification is opened, as I hope, one day. One of the things that is truly remarkable about the Catholic faith is its multiculturalism in a very real way. Here you are, a cardinal from Nigeria, um, Cardinal Ratzinger from Bavaria, um, and then and then Pope you know, as, as Pope, what were your um, recollections about his being German, his being Bavarian, uh, and, and how did that play out in your, in your relationship with him? No particular reference to Bavaria in our relation. We had something much more serious to discuss than Bavarian beer <laughs> or <laughs> Oktoberfest. No, no, we had something much more serious to discuss. But there is no doubt that... God has made us not as matches in a box. We have various creatures, cultures around the world, and that is a good thing. So we are not, um, every one of them, a photocopy of the other. It would not be good at all. So there is a lot of variety in the church, and that is good. One of the things that um, Cardinal Ratzinger very much appreciated was music. Um, what, uh, what was your experience with, with his appreciation of music and sacred music? I could see that he loved music in the sacred liturgy. I never had the joy to listen to him playing on the pianoforte. 
I would not have been so near him as that. But his love of liturgy and the music in the liturgy, both what he wrote and what he encouraged, was very pleasant. Even his own attachment to correct vestments, correct liturgical celebration, is already very eloquent in itself. And his book on liturgy, you know, the spirit of the liturgy, is excellent. If only we would follow it, many of our woes in worship would not be there. And finally, from your recollection of your time as head of the department or the, the, the congregation for divine worship for liturgy, um, what were your takeaways from that and your um, you know, work with the cardinal at the time on, on that score? Our faith is celebrated in the liturgy. So the liturgy is a rather serious thing because a person who didn't know what we believe should be able to tell if the person sees what we celebrate and how we celebrate. That is why if a priest or bishop or anybody who has a part in the liturgy begins to introduce idiosyncrasies, not minding what the church wants, if that person is doing great harm to our faith. I remember when I was in the Congregation for Divine Worship, that was the time some were saying, uh, Misa, Fidate, Mass, do it yourself, Mass. I said, no, this do it yourself, Mass is over. Go in peace and not in pieces. You are driving the people of God to pieces by, and de destroying our faith by the way you banalize it, you commercialize it. You come to Mass and you crack jokes and you tell them funny stories and you say good morning and you say, did your team win last week? If you can see that in any church missile, I'll give you a turkey. There's none of that joke because this, the liturgy is a very serious thing. You know the medieval saying, lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of faith is manifested in the law of prayer. The church prays as she believes. That means our liturgy manifest our faith. That, so it is a very serious thing altogether. A lot of people who would love to hear any other thoughts you might have about Pope Benedict and perhaps what you think we should do now in, in his memory. Pope Benedict was very kind. He was a polished and a complete human being. His human side is very, very acceptable. Even though he was head of doctrine congregation, but he was also very kind to Muslims and Buddhists. The crown prince in Jordan, I had just read his Christmas greeting to me today before you arrived. The crown prince in Jordan was great friend of Cardinal Ratzinger. And Jordan is a country that is officially Islamic. So he had a heart for every human being. That verifies what Paul VI, I think it's Paul VI who said, the church looks on the face of every human being and sees Christ. Even when that person doesn't know Christ or doesn't believe in Christ expressly, many people will be pleasantly surprised when they reach heaven because they will realize they are saved by the grace of Christ. Even if they didn't know Christ expressly, 
That is the sort of thing Cardinal Ratzinger was teaching. If a person looks at the doctrine of Vatican II, paragraph 16, 17 of the doctrine on the document on the church, salvation for those who may not expressly know Christ, but they are looking for God with their whole heart and in all sincerity. Only God will judge, not we. And we are not members of God's advisory council. So we may get surprises on the last day. You could uh, give us all your blessing. That would be much loved, I think, by all of our viewers who uh, offer uh, their prayers for you uh, and, and condolences. May the name of the Lord be blessed. Now, our help is in the name of the Lord. The blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Eminence. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.